Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 151, a conversation with Chris Tress about mentoring. It's not a program, it's a, it's a relationship. Welcome to the Engaging Mission Show with Brian Ensminger. We are bringing missions home. Each week, we hear from missionaries, ministry leaders, disciple makers, and church planters as they share about God's work in their lives and ministries. Like us, they are ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Brian Ensminger. In this week's episode of the Engaging Missions Show, we're going to be talking about what mentoring is, how Chris Tress and his staff approach mentoring, a little bit about how to be compassionate while setting boundaries, because that can be really hard. We're going to share some specific stories about how God has been working through mentoring in the inner city in Florida, and we're going to hear about how it's not just a program, it's a relationship. And with that, we're going to get right into this week's episode. All right, let's get started. I am really, really excited to have Chris Tress on the line with me again today. Now, if you've been around for a while and you've heard him before, you'll remember Chris from episode 135. He's an inner city pastor in Florida. He and his family live as missionaries within the inner city. But today he's coming back and we're going to talk specifically about mentoring. So Chris, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian. It's good good to be here. Oh, it is an absolute pleasure. I really mean that. And I guess for the people who don't know the backstory, maybe I should share a little bit. Chris and I have tried to have this interview now two other times, and both times we've had some challenges. So I'm believing that God has something really good for us today that he wanted to happen at this time. So I'm, I'm believing that we're going to be stepping into that. Now, Chris, as we start talking about mentoring, um, it's really kind of hard to start painting a picture unless we really talk about what mentoring is. Can you share with us a little bit about how you've envisioned mentoring? Sure, sure. Basically, you know, it is walking alongside of somebody, life on life, where you are encouraging them, trying to draw out, you know, Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, a man of understanding draws out the deep waters that are within. And so to, to be a question asker, to, to find out, hey, what's going on in your in your thought life? What's going on in your family life? What are you dealing with? What are you struggling with? And, and really just walking through life, being there as a listening ear, being there as a counselor, being there as a friend, a cheerleader, casting vision, you know, bringing hope to, to maybe hopeless situations. And, and really that this, this child that you're walking alongside, that they'll know that you know, no matter what, this person that's in my life, they're, they're going to be there for me. You know, they, they are going to be there for me and I can trust them. And so it's a relationship that's built on con- on trust, on consistency, and hopefully founded in, in love. And, you know, Jesus said, hey, no greater love than anyone has than this when you lay down your life for your friends. And, you know, I think that kind of sums up what mentoring is. 
That's good stuff. And you know, as I think over my past, I'm in my early 40s now, and I remember when I was in college, there was a big thing around big brother, big sister, that kind of program. And I I always saw those as a mentoring thing, but I never really saw them as an extension of my faith. I always kind of saw them as more of a community thing. Can you share a little bit about how the church can or perhaps should be involved in investing in relationships and in community? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, some of the biggest problems we face in America is this this issue of, of fatherlessness. And, you know, if you read the whole Bible, you will see in the Old Testament, God is very, very serious about his people, the Israelites, taking care of the widow and the orphan and the fatherless. And that was built into the laws that were given and handed down through Moses that uh, yeah, we, that is that is our job. And then, of course, you have the New Testament as well. Probably the, one of the most famous verses quoted is, is James 127. Pure religion is, is taking care of the widows and the orphans. And, and so fatherlessness is a huge, huge problem. I believe it is the biggest problem in America today. One out of three children in America are going to grow up fatherless. Without the, without a relationship with their dad. And here's some statistics real quick on that. You know, 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 71% of teenage pregnancy comes from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, and 85% of all youth incarcerated in prison come from fatherless homes. And so this is, this, is a, this is a big, big problem in our society. And, you know, what I've said at, at our church is, hey, we, we just can't do Sunday school like we used to do it, where hey, the children come and it's your Sunday school teacher. We'll see you next Sunday. And so what we've done in our church, and we're, we're – we're really, really trying to be focused on this is that every fatherless child, third grade and up, we want to connect them with a mentor because we, we, it's just not enough for them to come every Sunday. They have to have someone do life with them. So as, as you were talking, you shared quite a number of stats, really some staggering stuff. You know, I've never really looked in the, into the statistics, but it sounds like, you know, there's at least a 50% or even greater opportunity for somebody who's in a fatherless home to end up in a really rough situation, whether a teen pregnancy or some kind of dropout situation, any of those things. But it can also be really easy to look at that and go, well, it might be the fault of the fatherless home, or perhaps it's decisions made by the child or the mother or things like that that are ancillary. But my question would be, should we even be looking at those other things, or do we just look at it and go, there's no father, and maybe I could make an impact right here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, once again, uh, you know, an, or- an orphan in the Bible mm. is considered a fatherless child. It's not, it's not just somebody without a mother or father. An orphan, biblically, is a child without a father. And so, you know, that that's you know, not a secular perspective, but that's a, that is the God, the God perspective. Okay. And so it is so important, so important for the, the, the church of Jesus Christ to rally around fatherless children. Yeah. Because, you know, like, you know, the one, you know, you know how much we, we, we spend about thirty-five, $40,000 on one prisoner in our country every year. And if, 
85% of all, all youths that are in, in prison inmates have, have no relationship with their father, mm. man, how can, you know, the, the, the effect that it could have on our society if the church says, you know what, here I am, here I am, we, we are going to really look at this, and we're going to start a mentoring program in our church. We are going to, to go to schools and, and, and try to find some fatherless children, and, and we just want to be here. We want to be part of the solution, you know? So, Yeah, that, that's, that's good. And I think, if I remember right, the last time that we were talking, you also shared some stats about the particular community that you live in, that very, very few, if any, children are in a home where there is a father. And of those that are, usually the father and the mother aren't married, and it might not even be their own father. Can you maybe share right. with us a, a little bit of what you hope to see God do in the next generation or two as you're pouring into this community? Yeah, it's 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 that you know as we as I as I model Christ and as our staff and and church we we model Christ to these young people, you know it would just show them a a better way a, a healthy way a right way to to live life because there is a a a wound you know a, a father wound that's there especially if the father is alive and just absent. Okay. Well, now I'm dealing with abandonment. I'm dealing with rejection. I'm dealing with what's wrong with me. I'm not important. I don't get, I I don't have a, a, a true sense of identity or value. The dad is supposed to be the provider, the protector. The dad is supposed to impart self-worth and, and vision and challenging. And, and when that's gone, man, there is a big, big hole that is there. And so, and so when we come alongside these youth and these young people and we begin to, to pour into them and give them the kind of love and affection that they can get from a father as, as in a mentoring relationship, it, it's, a, it's a game changer. You know, it changes everything. And, and you know, my wife mentored this, this young girl. She's mentored her for over 14, 15 years now. And, you know, she was one of, of 19 children. The, the parents were on crack. And this girl was the first graduate in her entire family history to graduate high school. Wow. And not only that, now has her four-year degree from a, a university as well, and now is working at an inner-city ministry in our area. And my wife still meets with her. Hmm. And, and so, you know, mentoring works, and, it, and it's not a, a program. It's a we, we consider her our daughter, you know, I consider her, you know, Hey, I'm, I want to be your father. You know, when you meet somebody and you, you, you want, you want to bring that guy through the ringer, you, you bring him over to me. I want to meet him. I want to ask some questions and I want to walk through this, this premarital thing with you. Um, because it's, it's not a, a program. It's a, it's a relationship. And so that is not only changing her life, but also changing her family's life as well and it's gonna it's gonna just change the future of of how she lives life and how she looks at life and how she starts her family how things are going to to kind of move forward so so what what you're talking about as far as mentoring you know walking alongside with somebody sharing your life with them asking questions helping them along the way that sounds an awful lot like discipleship as well is there a difference between discipleship and mentoring you know, I, I don't think so. And, and, you know, it's funny. I was at a, um, uh, the mayor got together a bunch of local pastors and the government spent millions of dollars on, okay, how can we really affect these at-risk youth? And they came up with all these statistics and, and figured out how much, what worked. And you know what they said? They said mentoring works. 
Mm. And so that's what we need to focus on. Well, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, go and make disciples. <laughs> and how do you do that? You teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. You are with them always, right? You immerse them in the, in the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you, you baptize them in the, in the triune God. You know, you teach them the ways of God. And so there's really, you know, I use mentoring because it is, you know, when I, if I say to a normal Christian in America, will you disciple someone? They'll say, oh, I, don't, I don't know how to do that, or I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't think I know enough. But when you say mentoring, it's a little easier. Uh, okay, I could probably do that. But mentoring and discipleship, are uh, they're one and the same. And it's, it's what Christ, when you look at the brilliance of his strategy to reach the world, he focused for three and 12 men, and he poured his life into them. He loved them, and he talked to them about everything. He taught them everything they needed to know. And, and he even said, hey, I have more to share with you, but right now you're just not ready. And so this wasn't just a, a three-year relationship. It was going to be a lifelong relationship as, as he was teaching them how to abide. And we look at the four stages of discipleship in Christ's ministry, specifically out of the book of John. You have the first stage where it's come and see. And so, hey, just come and see, come and see. And they go to the wedding, you know. And then he says, you know, come and follow me. Second stage, you know, I want to really begin to take this relationship to the next level. And then it's come and be with me. You know, I, I want you with me. I want you to, to now to come with me everywhere. You're going to be part of my, my, my crew, part of my clique. And then the last stage is coming up, is abide in me, which is a, you know, with, with, with communion and with a covenant relationship. It means that, man, we are now part of the family of Christ. We are now, we are now abiding in the vine and he's never going to leave us or forsake us. And, and you see those four different levels through the book of John. And that is what I believe every mentoring relationship should progress to so that we become like Paul was with Timothy, where Paul says, Hey, Timothy, my son in the faith, who I long for, who I love, who I shared tears with. And Timothy wasn't his biological son, but Timothy was his, his adopted son in the faith. And he looked at him as if he was his own son. And I think that is the end goal for the Christian when it comes to mentoring, you know? So one other thing, I guess, you know, as I think about mentoring, I've probably, my perspective has been shaped a little bit by Hollywood because a lot of times I'll think of a mentoring relationship, something like an old guy with a uh, gymnasium and three or 400 kids that come out there to play basketball just to keep them off the streets. But what you're talking about sounds like something different than that. Can you share maybe a little bit more about how you walk alongside these, these children or the, the young adults to pour into their lives? How, how do you do that? Yeah, well, first of all, there, you know, there's the match stage uh, where we, we, you know, have kids right now in our mentoring program on a waiting list. And so for, when we get a mentor, man, we want to we want to match them. And we try to match them with, you know, same, you know, if a kid likes chess, oh, OK, this mentor likes chess. OK, that'd be a good a thing to begin to start building relationships. So the match is the first thing. That's the most awkward stage. But it is so easy. Look, you're going to go to church on Sunday. Hey, bring your mentor with you, mentee with you, excuse me. Um, you may go out to eat a- after church with your family. Bring, bring the mentee with you and begin to, you know, you have to go shopping or you have to go here. You have to go here. It's bringing them into your life because, you know, when you're at McDonald's and, the, and, and God, for, you know, you hope it doesn't happen, but the, the, 
the cashier is rude to you or gives you an attitude, well, that mentee is watching how you respond. Are you going to bless when you, when, when you are cursed, if you will? Or, or you're driving and you get cut off by somebody who's a bad driver. Are they going to see you road rage or are they going to see you, man, you know what? Let's pray for that guy because obviously they can't drive and they can't see. So, um, you know, so, so you're modeling, uh, life on life, how to do things, you know, how do I talk to my wife? How do I talk to my kids? How do I treat my family? And that is just such a huge aspect of mentoring and you don't have to know a lot. It's, 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 it's just being with something, being with the children, you know, the, the, one of the good definitions I've, I've heard is kids spell love. T-I-M-E. Right. So, so just being with them. Now, what we give our mentors as well is a, um, it's a little devotional uh, that the kid takes home, and the kid does the devotional, and they bring it to their mentoring meeting, and they just talk about, okay, let's go through your devotional. Well, what you get? Well, what did God show you? What, what, how, do you how are you going to do this? And so there's other books that we try to give out about being a man or, or about, you know, about becoming a woman and, and purity and and so there's different curriculum along the way, but, um, yeah, the, the main thing is just life on life and uh, allowing them to see you and, and even seeing you mess up, you know, because you're going to mess up. You know yeah. what? I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And so what? I'm going to, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask forgiveness to my wife. You know, I, I made a joke at her expense. You know, babe, listen, you know, I should have done that. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Man. They, they might not ever witness that kind of relationship being demonstrated where, where a, a father or a mother humbles themselves and asks forgiveness. It, it might just be yelling and screaming all the time in their home, you know? Um, you, you just never know. So. Oh, that, that's good. I guess one other question about the, the whole mentor-mentee relationship. Do your mentees come looking for you or do you go out looking for them? You know, we're in a, in a situation, Brian, where, you know, for instance, we have, the, I'll give you the, the, for those that didn't listen to the last one, the a Stony Brook housing project in Riviera, there's 400 kids under the age of 18 that live in that complex. There are no married couples in the whole complex, and there are only three dads on the registry in the whole complex. So, so these kids, honestly, they are, are destined for jail girls destined for teenage pregnancy. I mean, these stats go way up. And, and not only that, but you're dealing with severe poverty as, as well because it's a housing project. So mm. it's a really, really rough place. So we're in there running outreaches, and in those outreaches, kids just come. And so from those outreaches and from from that just being there, playing football and, and doing different activities and homework help, you have kids there. And so what we are trying to do is rally the local church around those kids because we have over 100 kids right now on a waiting list. Mm. Hey, listen, you could just come and we'll match you with a child. You don't even have to come to the housing project here to on, you know, on a Tuesday night. You can do it at your own time. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we are in the inner city. And pretty much every inner city is the same across America, where we also work in a couple other housing projects, probably about 90% of those children have no father in their life. And so the kids are there. Uh, they don't have a lot to do. They're hanging out. They're getting in trouble. And, man, they would love, love, love to have a mentor. You know, the harvest is, is plentiful by far. 
but the laborers are just very, very few. Uh, that, that's that's great. With that, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to shift our focus a little bit more to some of the transformations that you've seen. Hey, this is Jim from Doing Ministry Well. If you're enjoying the Engaging Missions podcast like I do, we'd be honored if you check out our show too at doingministrywell.com. That was Jim Baker of Doing Ministry Well. If you haven't already, I would recommend that you go ahead and check out his podcast at doingministrywell.com. Now, if you've been with the show for a while, you do know that we just finished up a series on involving children in ministry. We had six episodes, six families. We heard some amazing stories about how God is using children, how God is using them to heal the sick, how God is using them in discipleship and training. We also heard about how their parents are involving them and how that's been good for their families. You can find all of those episodes at engagingmissions.com slash children in ministry. You'll find links for every single one of those episodes there. And if you're interested in grabbing the entire thing, you can sign up for our email newsletter at, at engagingmissions.com slash children in ministry. And then when the entire thing is available as a single download, you can I'll, I'll let you know through the email newsletter. I'm planning to just kind of trim out some of the extra stuff so that all you're getting is the interviews right there without a lot of the, the stuff that we put in the middle, because that won't be relevant necessarily as we get further in. Now, before we get back into our interview, I also want to share just a quick segment from the Leadership Moment podcast at FX Missions. You can sign up for that, or you can subscribe to that, rather, at engagingmissions.com slash leadershipmoment. And with that, we're going to start hearing from Scott McClelland, just a few seconds, and then we'll get back into our interview. Our first snare that we want to talk about in, in detail, self-assurance. Now, is self-assurance a good thing, or is it a bad thing? Uh, shouldn't we be self-assured? Isn't that just a product of confidence? I observe a lot of people in ministry, especially younger leaders in ministry, who seem to walk with a high level of self-assurance. And what does that mean? In, in, the, in the process of consideration that I've gone through on this subject, I've come to observe self-assurance as not thinking beyond or considering beyond yourself in your actions and decisions. So we're talking with Chris Tress, and he's just shared some of the challenges that face the inner city and some of the mentoring work that they've done. And in specifically, he's shared a little bit about that. But now I'd like to also maybe focus on some of the results that they've seen because they've been doing this for a while. So Chris, would you mind sharing with us maybe just a little bit about what it is that mentoring has accomplished? Sure, sure. Well, uh, Brian, I'm gonna, I've got some statistics here that I, uh, I want to just share, and yeah. these are uh, statistics that are, are secular from, a, from national organizations who have done just really extensive research. For, for instance, one of them you know, was a five-year study which tracked 1,000 children by the Big Brothers, Big Sisters in Canada. They spent millions of dollars to do it. And so here, here's some real quick stuff that happens when children have a mentor. Students who have mentors are 52% less likely to skip school and 30% less likely to skip class. 46% are less likely when they have a mentor to start. Uh, 46% are less likely to use drugs and 27% less likely to start drinking. They're 81% more likely to 
participate in sports and extracurricular activities. And they also develop better trust with their parents and better communication skills. And these are at-risk youth, by the way, that they're, that they're tracking. 55%, they're 55% more likely to enroll in college, 78% more likely to volunteer regularly, 90% are interested in becoming a mentor themselves, mm. 90%, and then 130% more likely to hold leadership positions. Wow. And so they're, they're, um, there was a study that showed the, the, the girls with a mentor were four times less likely to bully, fight, lie, or express anger. Girls with mentors are two and a half times more likely than girls without a mentor to be confident in their ability to be successful at school. Boys with a mentor are three times less likely than boys without a mentor to suffer peer pressure-related anxiety, such as worrying about what other children think or say about them. Boys are two times more likely to believe that school is fun and that doing well academically is important. And mentored boys are also two times less likely than non-mentored boys to develop negative conducts like bullying, fighting, lying, cheating, and losing their temper and expressing anger. Now, again, these are just some, some real quick statistics from secular institutions. Now, this is the thing that I like to tell the church because we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. We are sealed. You know, when we come born again, imagine when we, what, what, what kind of statistics we would produce if, if, if we, the children of God, began to mentor. I, I, I know they would be much better, you know? And so, so that's some, some good news, you know, that, that these statistics give us hope that, hey, mentoring really works. That's that's powerful stuff. And, and I guess I kind of want to paint a little bit of a picture here because I, I don't want in any way to diminish giving or supporting education and things that happen in foreign countries. But these are our brothers and sisters. These are our neighbors here, people that we can minister to here. And this is a huge opportunity to really make a difference. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. I've, I've not really looked at the statistics. So this is a bit eye-opening for me as well. So everybody listening gets to hear me understand it, try and process all of this too. Now, Chris, these are great stats, but you also have stories, right? And it, Sometimes sure. we think about stats and they're good and they're powerful, but it's really the picture of the children, the pictures of transformed lives that make a difference. Can you share a couple of those with us? Yeah, yeah, I, I sure can. You know, uh, one of the young men uh, that, that I uh, began a mentoring relationship uh, with, he, he was uh, nine, nine years old. Uh, every single one of his brothers uh, incarcerated and in prison. And this young man is now 26 years old. He just was just married. And he is now working in the foster care system. He's a strong believer. He serves in our church. And he's just a, a, a mighty man of God. And he also, coming from our inner city here, has chosen to stay and live in our inner city to, to, to be a leader and a light in this community. You know, I don't know if, you know, people know this, but usually in the hood, most people want to get their families out of the hood mm -hmm. because, man, we want to get away from what's going on down in the hood. But this young man has said, no, I'm not leaving. Even though I can, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to be a leader in this community because when the leaders lead, there's a vacuum, you know, there's a, there's an absolute vacuum. And so, you know, I, I pray God raise up the Harriet Tubman's who, mm -hmm. who, when they leave, okay, man, will you come back? Because 
these young kids down here, they need to see examples. They need to see role models. So, so that's one of them. You know, another young man who, you know, single mom, no dad in his life whatsoever. He just got his four, four year degree from a, from a university as well. And he's doing real, real good. Another young man that, that I mentored, I actually met him and he was at 16 year old. He was homeless living in a shack right next to my house. And I, and I didn't know it. And through building a relationship with him, starting a mentoring relationship with him, he went and got his GED. He graduated from the Fire Academy. He has continually served in, in our ministries and in our programs down here. He's become a leader. And uh, just recently, he ran for county commissioner. Now, he didn't win. He lost. But this is a young man whose mom was a uh, HIV positive prostitute addicted to crack cocaine and he's at 16 year old living in an abandoned shack selling drugs just to feed himself he actually dropped out of school because he couldn't wash his clothes and he got tired of kids making fun of him and so this young man is is becoming a leader a success story and and not only that he's another one that says hey i'm going to stay in this community and i'm going to be a leader that's going to change this community and so time and time again the children that have uh, that that I have mentored, that my wife have mentored, they we see the most drastic change. Now we we run outreaches for hundreds of kids every week that come to our big group outreaches, kind of probably what you envision, Brian, right? Mm-hmm. Where the hundred kids in a gym, we play sports, we play games, we do a little gospel talk, but it's the kids that that have been brought in, uh, that we've done life with, that we see just amazing, amazing results and success from them. So so that's why after, since doing inner city ministry here since 1998, it's everything, everything. It's, we, we've got to, all of our outreaches, the goal is to get every single one of those kids a mentor. The, the goal isn't doing outreach. But the goal is saying, okay, how can we get every single one of these kids a mentor? So everything we do, we our goal is to get these children hooked up with mentors. So that's it's just I've just kind of come to that conclusion that that mentoring is the thing that really, really, really works more so than anything else. Now, doing these outreaches, and I mean, frankly, just trying to book an interview with between the two of us, I know that you're incredibly busy, that you've got a lot, lot of stuff going on, and you have these success stories, but there are also times of challenge, times when things don't seem like they're going well, or maybe times when it, it doesn't seem like things are going to come through. Is it the success stories that sustain you in the difficult times, or is there something else? Yeah, uh, you know, obviously it's, uh, mentoring can be really, really hard because people with rejection issues and trust issues, there's going to be a honeymoon phase, mm-hmm. but then there's going to come the phase where they test you. They want to see if you're going to stay, if you're real, if, or are you going to be like everybody else and just leave them? And so, so mentoring's not all roses. Uh, it's not all, it's not all giggles. There's, you know, there's hard conversations to be had, you know, and, and also, you know, I've had some young men say, Hey, can I move in with you? Because my, my living situation is, you know, so bad. Well, from, for my wife and I, we've taken in girls, but one of the things we've decided on, cause I have a precious daughter who's Riley, who's 10 years old, is mm-hmm. that we're not going to take in any boys until she's out of the house. And so I've had to tell these young men, no, you know, and that hurts them. Oh, what do you, what do you don't trust me? What do you don't? Well, 
it's not that I don't trust you, but also, you know, in, in our community that we live in, from my front door, there's 46 registered sexual predators in my community. And one out of three girls in our community is sexually molested, and one out of six boys in our community are sexually molested. And so uh, we've just kind of felt led by God to, to make that boundary clear. Again, we've taken in girls, but as far as boys are concerned, we, we've said, you know what, that's, that's where we're going we're gonna to draw the line. And so, you know, that, there's, there's a kid who's asking me to move in because his family life is so horrible. Now he's dealing with rejection from me. And I, and we got to work through that. We got to talk through that, you know. And um, you know, one, the one kid, one kid who's now like twenty six, twenty seven, he finally understands now why I said no, mm-hmm. you know, from when from when he was fourteen. And you know, it's so those those are those are tough situations. And there's also been failures, Brian, where yeah. you know one of my one of my better kids, and he's given me permission to use his name and tell a story. But his name was Robert. Man, I took him to, uh, we took him to the Dominican Republic leadership, uh, the Dominican Republic to do orphanage ministry. We, we've taken him to leadership training in Cincinnati, top, one of our top kids. He was supposed to go to Publix one day, uh, which is a grocery store, mm-hmm. and, and work. And he got a call from some friends. They were going to go rob a bank in a city near us. And they, they're promising him like $20,000, you know? Well, that's double what he makes in a year. And he made the decision to go with them. Well, they got arrested. They got caught. And because of that, he never had, he didn't have any record, 17 years old. The judge gave him 35 years in prison. Whoa. And, and sad. But you know what? He calls me from prison. They call him preacher man in prison. Hmm. And he's actually thankful that God stopped him then because he knows he pro- if he if he would have kept going with you know and, and hanging out with those guys he would probably be dead right now and so he I get letters from him so it's it's you know it, it, those are those are sad those are those are the war stories unfortunately because you live in an inner city environment where the pull and the lure of easy money uh, crime and drugs and different things are just constantly pulling these young people. So, so there's sad things like that, but yeah, my, the anchor is in Christ. You know, even Jesus had a Judas and, you know, so it might not all work out, you know, but we're called to be obedient. We're called to be faithful. One of my greatest quotes by Mother Teresa, when Henry Nowen came and looked at what she did, he says, man, how, how do you remain so upbeat when there's such failure and there's such lack of success. And she says, Hey, God has not called me to be successful. He's called me to be faithful. So I'm going to be faithful. And in essence, you know, when we, when we focus on what's right before us and we're just obedient to what the Lord is leading us, the outcomes are up to him. You know, Isaiah 55, 11 is one of my favorite verses. So the word comes forth out of my mouth. It will not return void, but it will accomplish what I've prepared and desired for it to accomplish. And then you put that with, um, First Corinthians chapter three, verse six and seven, which says, you know, some can plant, some can water, but God gives the increase. Right. And so, man, I've got to be faithful to proclaim God's word. I got to be faithful to love unconditionally as Christ is loving through me. And, and I can water and I can plant all, all I want. But at the end of the day, you know, God has got to give the growth. And so my, my, my focus is, is on God and, and I leave the outcomes to him. Because it can be hard. In the inner city, there's going to be more failure 
than success. It just is what it is because of the, the environment and um, the fatherlessness that's rampant, you know, the drugs, the poverty, the crime, the fear, the hopelessness, um, you know, all, all of those, that stuff. But, but, but from that, God is raising up a generation of young men that, that are catching his vision and saying, hey, here I am, God, send me. So that, That's great. And you totally nailed the next question I was going to ask you, which was about how you reconcile the challenges and all of the, the bad stuff around you with serving a holy God. And you, you totally nailed that one. I did want to ask one more question as we kind of tie a bow on this section, though. You've got a lot going on. God's put a lot of stuff on your heart. How can we as the listeners best pray and support you and the ministry going on there? Yeah, again, it's, it's, it's really, I, I believe, a revival in the, in the church has to take place. You know, the church collectively, you know, we're a small inner city church plant, and, you know, we, we have about 120 people, adults, coming on Sunday. But in our outreaches that we run throughout the week, we have over 300 inner city kids in them. Yeah. So we'll never, from our own church, be able to find mentors for all those kids. And so we need the church collective and the church to be united, the larger church, to say, hey, guys, let's come together on this and let's focus on eradicating, you know, some, some of these problems, you know. And, you know, there's churches in our area, man, if, you know, six, 600 people from our little inner city here said, hey, I'll mentor, man, we could literally in one generation change the inner city, you know. But uh, that's what God has to do. He has to, you know, so pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. That, that's, that's really my, my answer, you know, mm-hmm. is that, that pray for us, that God would just bring in the laborers for these precious, precious children that are, are fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the image and likeness of God, that God has, has called us as his bride to take care of the widows and the orphans and that we, we would step up and, and, and we would do that, you know? So, and, and real quick, Brian, down here in West Palm beach, there is a movement. It's called church United. And one of the things we've said as a bunch of, of local churches, probably about 150 churches have gotten together and we said, Hey, there are, if every church in Palm beach County just takes in one foster kid, one, one church would take in one foster kid, we would empty the foster care system into the church of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so I've had our, you know, those groups come and speak at our church, and, and, and we, we really believe that God is going to do that, 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 the, that the churches and the, and the government's going to come to us. Man, there, there's no foster kids in Palm Beach County. Why? Well, the church has stepped up, and glory be to God. The same thing can happen with mentoring. You know, the same thing could happen in mentoring. So that's my prayer. That's my hope. Well, for those of you listening, I would just like to encourage you, pray for this. If you're in, if you're in Florida, if you're in the Palm Beach area, look for a way to be connected. Look for something to do. If you're living near another city, find some way to be connected because there are opportunities everywhere. Now, with that, we are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time more toward you as the listener. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the Engaging Mission Show. So uh, here's, a, here's a word that we, that's been important to us when we teach it to our folks. The word is prevenience. It rhymes with convenient. It's often associated with prevenient grace. In that context, it means that the word literally means before, prevenient. 
And so it means that before I ever thought about uh, becoming a Christian, God was the one who initiated in my life. Well, Eugene Peterson, uh, the guy that you know did the paraphrased version of uh, the Bible, uh, has a great chapter in one of his books about prevenience, and he says that it should be applied to all of ministry. So my job is not to show up in a situation, figure out what's going on, and, and try to make something happen. That's really what I was trained to do in seminary and a lot of my early training, is the phrase, make it happen ministry. What Peterson says is that God is always at work ahead of time before we show up. And so my job is not to show up and make something happen. My job is to show up and find out what God is doing and how I can join Him in that. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we're back with Chris Tress. He's been totally knocking my socks off. It's going to take me a while to process all that he's shared because this has really been powerful. It's been hopefully transforming for me, and I hope that it's also been transforming for you. But now we want to shift our focus toward you as the listener because we're, we're doing this to highlight what God's doing, but we also want to point out some opportunities where you can learn or grow or step into this. So Chris, as you think about somebody who's listening right now, if they're starting to wonder whether or not God's calling in, them into this, kind of ministry, some kind of mentoring, how would you share with them that they could maybe determine where God's leading them? Yeah, yeah. You know, for me, you know, I read years ago in in 1998, I I read the story of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, in that story, two of the religious people, they saw the guy on the ground and they just walked around. But then the Good Samaritan, you know, he was willing to get dirty. He was willing to get bloody. He was willing to put the guy on his his donkey, he, he took him to the innkeeper and said, hey, you know what, I've got to go, but, but when I return, and so he had, a, not a, he had a long-term plan until this guy was made well. And so Jesus, in that story, you know, just kind of finishes it, and he says, hey, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. Who, you know, and the question in the beginning of that story is, who is my neighbor, you know? And the neighbor is, is anyone who is hurting, who is wounded, who is left abandoned with no hope. And, 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 and so, you know, there's a plethora of different ministries out there. So there's drug addictions and, you know, teen, teen pregnancy centers and different things like that. And, and those are all good. Those are all great. And you just need to say, okay, God, as a, as a Christian, you've commanded me to go and do likewise, and you've commanded me to love my neighbor. Now, who is my neighbor? And you just begin to pray, and and I trust that God will lead you, whether it is into mentoring or, or whether it is into into something else. Whatever ministry you do get into, though, the foundation of ministry is making disciples. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the transformation happens. It's it's in the life on life, and so I can get involved with teen moms if you're if you're a you know, a, a mom out there and, and, and you want to get involved with team moms, hey, get involved with the, with the team moms. But, but understand that that's going to lead to mentoring. You know, that's going to lead to discipleship. And that's, that's loving your neighbor, you know, and pouring into them. And so, you know, just pray and, and seek God and say, hey, God, where would you have me go? 
And again, when I did that, and I, I read that story in 1998, it was a few weeks later that I came across this organization called Urban Youth Impact, and I started volunteering once a week and just doing a football outreach, setting up cones and handing out snacks and just serving. I didn't even speak for the first year. And I'll never forget what changed me is that I took a kid home who accepted Christ, and the guy, uh, Bill Hobbs, the founder of Urban Youth Impact, preached the message, this kid accepted Christ, and I took the kid home to meet mom to let him know the decision. I walked in the house. Where's mom? Well, we haven't seen her in a few days. Well, where's dad? We don't, we don't have a dad. There's no furniture in the house. There's like a ketchup bottle in the fridge. And, and, and I was just blown away that this was happening in the United States of America. And I got into my car and I just broke down crying and I really felt the nudge of God. Okay. Are you willing to lay your life down for these kids in this community? Because without the body of Christ engaging them, Government will never, ever, ever fix things. These kids were a complete welfare family, but there's drug dealers that you can go and you can take them shopping with your card from the government and you can buy the drug dealer's family all of his groceries and he will give you drugs for a few weeks. Our Mm -hmm. government system is so broken, it's unbelievable. And if we're waiting for the government to fix it, the, the church is... It's on the wrong path. So, yeah, just, just pray that God would just begin to open up your, your, your heart and lead you and show you. That's how it happened for, for in, in my life. Is there a, a passion for something? Is there a passion for, for, for you know, maybe migrant workers that are, that are coming in, um, illegal aliens, you know? And, and just begin to ask God to show you and give you a burden and a passion for some part of society that is poor, that is wounded, that is needy, and that you begin to serve. And once you start serving and you begin to build relationships and you really begin to hear and listen, God will break your heart so that it will become a consuming passion. And I I believe that's what happens across the board. That's what happened with my wife as well as uh, she went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic and connected with the orphans there. It was just like, oh, wow. I, I, I've got to, I've got to do something back home. And then when she got back home, she got involved in, in, uh, in our ministry that I was in. In fact, that's how we met as two volunteers. And then now we're married for, you know, for 12 years now. But yeah, she, she God just, just began to open up her heart and open her eyes to be able to see. And, and when she saw that, she's like, man, I, I've got to do something, you know? And, you know, my wife's an amazing woman who, who, uh, had a great job as well, and, and she totally quit her job, making taking a, a pay cut in com- half of what she was making to work with inner city kids. You know, she used to have a Lexus; she had to sell that. I mean, she she totally gave her life to the inner city here, and so my wife is just absolutely amazing. And but that's what God may do that something very extreme where it becomes your life work, or it just may be you know that you'll be a person that mentors. You just never know. But the, the point is, begin to ask God, hey, who is my neighbor? Read that Good Samaritan story again. Okay, God, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And I, I know that God, because it, it says in his word, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. It also says in his word that we are his workmanship. That means poem. It means work of art. It means masterpiece. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
that he has prepared in advance that we should walk in in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. And so God has a destiny. He has a purpose. He has a preordained plan for your life. But it has to start with you asking the question, Lord, who is my neighbor? And then having the heart that says, send me, I will go. And when that begins to happen, God, I am am 100% confident that he will place you where he wants you because he's already got it planned out. So as I'm thinking about our listeners, there are probably at least a few that are thinking, okay, I know what I have, I know what or who I have a burden for, but maybe they don't know, they don't feel comfortable mentoring somebody. Are there some resources that you would point people toward to go, okay, this is how you can structure some kind of mentoring. This is how you can make sure that your relationships are gospel centered and are pouring into their lives. Yeah, there's a, there's a plethora of, of different books out there from Tony Dungy's book on, on mentoring and, and why mentoring to Donald Miller has a, has a great book. I think it's called To Own a Dragon. Donald Miller has a great website as well on, on mentoring. He's the author that wrote Blue Like Jazz. Mm-hmm. And so, and also you could just Google it. There's tons of, of statistics and resources and different things like that. So, but, you know, the best thing is really reading the, the four gospels and the red letters. <laughs> because you, you, you look at what Christ did. He was the perfect mentor. And you will get so much, so much from, from, from looking at the life of Jesus Christ that will, will teach you how to be a great mentor. And so for me, it, it goes back to the Bible, which is the greatest book. But just off the top of my head, those were a few books that, that, are, that are good. That's really good stuff. And for those of you who are listening, all of this will be linked up in the show notes, as well as a link to uh, Chris's church. So if, you, if you're in Florida and you want to connect with him, or if you just want to connect with him, that'll be the place to do that. We'll have that all linked up in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash mentoring, since we've been talking about mentoring. Now, Chris, as we're thinking about the listeners, we've been talking a lot about mentoring and about pouring into the next generation or pouring into sure. the people around us. As they look back over the lives, what are the kinds of things that you'd like them to see in their history? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who amazing man, man of God, and, and uh, in fact, that's another good mentoring book. He has a book called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. But, you know, he says this. He says, a righteous man, a righteous woman lives for the next generation. And, you know, at the end of your life, you know, you're not going to worry about how much money you made. You're not going to worry about, but man, begin to think of the lives, you know, that, that are going to be at your funeral and the people that you have been able to influence and pour into and, and minister to and, and have deep, deep, deep relationships with. And, you know, that is, it, it it's just really everything, you know, because, you know, that, that, that's what life is about. It's, it's about loving others. It's, it's about creating a family-type atmosphere, even with those who are outside of our family, that they would feel part of our family, because that's what Christ has done to us. He has brought us into to his family, and we've become sons, and we've become daughters. And, and he says over our lives, hey, you are my son, you are my daughter, and whom I'm well pleased. And that kind of grace, it's that kind of love, it's that kind of affection that, that we need to be promoting and we need to be about. And so in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, it, it, it talks about that it, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And we are ambassadors for Christ. 
and we reconcile men to men, but also men to God. And you know that 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 I think is is just huge. And when it all when when everything kind of stops and comes to nothing, I, I love the 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 last part of the movie Schindler's List, where you you see the guy and he saved. I, I can't remember how many Jewish people he saved from the Holocaust, but you see him saying, "I could I could have." sold my watch and, and saved two more. I, I could have sold my car and saved 10 more. I could have sold my ring and saved 15 more. And, and that, in essence, that, in essence, is uh, we're going to come to the end of our life and we're going to be like, whoa, whoa, why did I spend so much time on some of this frivolous stuff? Why couldn't I have been more focused on pouring into and, and raising up a, a next generation of leaders? And you know, it's good to ask that kind of question, Brian. Great question. And and that's what I want to be focused on. It's, you know, even with the church, you know, I, listen, I don't, I don't really care how big my church gets, but man, how many deep relationships do I have in my church where these people know that they're part of my family and that I will die for them and they will die for me. And we have an intimate relationship where we're vulnerable, we're honest, and there's high, high trust. And, and, and they know they're loved by me, and I know that I'm loved by them, and we can walk through this life together glorifying God. So, Well, Chris, thank you. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you making yourself available a couple of different times to finally get this done. This has been really powerful, and I, I mean, I just feel honored to be able to hear this first because obviously I get to record it, so I hear you sharing this stuff first, and this is really good. Thank you so much for doing this. It's my, my pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Chris Tress for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate that he was willing to go through rescheduling a couple of times in order to make this happen. And I really believe that this is a powerful conversation that happened at just the right time. As I mentioned before, show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash mentoring. That's where you'll find links to the resources that we talked about. And also, if you're interested in uh, in grabbing that entire series on involving children in ministry, you'll find that at engagingmissions.com slash children in ministry. One other thing I would ask is that if you enjoyed this show, if you found it valuable and you know somebody else who might also find it valuable, please let them know about it. Shoot them an email, tweet them, send them a link on Facebook, just tell them in tell them in person. However you get the word out, we'd really appreciate it because we want to make sure that we make these resources available for the people that want to and need to hear what we have to share. And we don't always know. So we're trusting you to help us get the word out because if they don't know about it, they can't benefit from it. Make sure you stop back next week where we'll be hearing from John White of the Luke 10 Network. His vision and the vision of the organization is to have a church in every home, or rather for every church, to, every home to be a church. And I think that he's got some really good stuff to share. I think that you'll enjoy it. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this, along with show notes, by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us an honest rating and review in iTunes. Audio editing was provided by Jeff Butterworth of Sound Paradigm Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.